Hi, everybody. I'm Karen Smith, and welcome to the P52 Podcast. I'm the president of Canal Ministry Training Center at Christ Fellowship Church in Dawsonville, Georgia, home of the North Georgia Revival. The desire of my heart is to see the body of Christ come into a fuller understanding of the Word of God and develop a deeper appreciation for Jesus and what He did for us. When we understand the covenant we have in Him, we will love Him more and more. The P in P52 is for process. God is a God of process, from creation to Noah, from David to Jesus, and from the plan of redemption to developing as a disciple, we see the importance of process. On this podcast, we're going through the P52 teachings from the last several years. We will dive into the Word of God a chapter at a time, paying close attention to the context, the background, and the choice words and phrases. By carefully dissecting these chapters, we will gain a greater understanding of God's Word and what it's saying to us today. His Word is about to come alive for you in a powerful way. This is the way you study your Bible. With all that said, let's dive into this week's episode. John, all the same John, okay? His name means 
Jehovah loves. That's what John means. Now, his brother was James. So James and John, you got that? Does that sound familiar, James and John? And uh, uh, Jesus called them together in Mark 3, 17, the sons of thunder, because they had great zeal, okay? Boanerges is the Greek word for sons of thunder, and that's what Jesus called them, okay? Uh, He was a native of a city that was near Galilee. He had very godly parents. They were probably cousins of Jesus himself, and they did follow the Lord Jesus. His mother, Salome, was one of the women at the cross and also went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. So would you say John had quite an upbringing? Okay? So we see that he had very godly, godly parents. Now his mother was the one, remember the story, over in Mark 10 and in Matthew 20, his mother was the one that went to Jesus and said, I want my boys to sit by you, Jesus, one day in the heavens. I want James on one side and John on the other. And she later found out that she didn't really realize what she was asking for. But uh, that is that is this, this John and this mother particularly, okay? His father was a fisherman. Uh, James and John, those two brothers, were called to be disciples while mending their nets one day. We see that in Matthew 4. He was the youngest of the disciples. He was the youngest of all the disciples. He was part of the select three, Peter, James, and John. That's the John. Okay, and simply I'm identifying uh, which John we're talking about. Okay, he sat next to Jesus at the Lord's Supper. He's the one that leaned into Jesus and laid his head on his breast and asked him questions. That's the John. Okay, uh, we find him in John 20 that he ran faster than Peter to the empty tomb. He outran Peter to the tomb. That's the John. He died at almost a hundred years old, and we find that he wrote. The Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. Okay, so now that we know which John it was, for crying out loud, we ought to know. Okay, but this John's very common throughout the Bible, so I wanted to really identify our writer, the disciple John. Okay, the purpose and the main theme of our writing is found in John 20. Here's the verse, 30 through 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. But these which are written, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And here he goes talking about deity, the Son of God. And that believing, you might have life in his name. That's why he wrote this gospel. So that I could tell you, you'll see John talks about the works and the words of Jesus. And he says, and because of these, that you may believe in him and that you'll have life. And we're going to talk about that word life in a moment. But you'll have life in his name. Listen to this. His main purpose was to make the past career of Jesus a present-day reality to a later generation. And that would be us. Amen? So he's trying to bring those, the past career of Jesus to a present-day reality. Uh, to a later generation. Praise God. Now John writes a lot, especially in verses 1 through 12, right along in there about Jesus becoming flesh. But you read that about a hundred times in here. Okay? Especially verses 1 and 2. And the reason that he did this was, he's talking about Jesus' humanity. And that he came to the earth 
uh, in human form for two reasons. Two reasons. Redemption, to forgive us of our sin, right, die on the cross. And revelation, that through his life and his ministry, guys, he would reveal his father. So you'll see this, this common thread throughout John's writing. The reason Jesus came as man was to redeem us to be the Lamb of God, because he was the Lamb of God, to be that final sacrifice so that he may forgive us of our sin. And that through his life and through his ministry, praise God, he might reveal the glory of his Father. So he came for redemption purposes and for revelation purposes. Good. Now, John just writes all about this. Now, let's look at uh, where uh, Hebrews was written to. Very quickly, it was written simply to Christians throughout Asia Minor. We know it's Bible study church. Been here a lot lately and have. This makes y'all want to go over there. Sometimes it just makes me want to go over there so I can just, you know, be in this area because so much activity is happening over there. Okay? And so it was written to Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in this area. Now, um, one of the commentators calls Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the gospel stage of the Bible. These are the four gospels. And it covers about 35 years and deals with the life and the ministry of Jesus uh, while he was on the earth. You see the Old Testament beginning with man being made in the image of God. The New Testament, we see God in the image of man. How about that? In man, the image of God was defeated by Satan in the garden. But the God made in the image of man would defeat Satan in a barren desert. Prior to this stage, the sheep would die for a shepherd over in Exodus 12. But in this gospel stage, the shepherd now dies for his sheep. Hallelujah. Okay? Now, very quickly, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are referred to as synoptic gospels. And this basically says that there's commonalities between those books. Y'all have seen this diagram before. John is not part of a synoptic gospel. This stands alone. A lot of times we like to clump them together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but only those first three uh, uh, books are called synoptic gospels, and it's basically just, uh, you know, a brief overview that are similar. But John is different. You will see John using long discourses. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's parables. In John, he writes about only seven miracles. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's many, many miracles written about. Okay? So there's a little bit of difference there. Now, very quickly, let me give you this, and then we're going to move into our text. Concerning these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how was Jesus portrayed? Okay? All right, next one, Melanie. In Matthew, you'll see the writer portraying Jesus as a king. In Mark, as a servant. In Luke, as the perfect man. And in John, he portrays Jesus as the Son of God. The emphasis by the writer, the next one, Melanie, for the emphasis of the writer. Go, next one. Matthew writes in sermons. Mark writes in miracles or writes about miracles. Luke in parable form. But John talks a lot in doctrinal form. The style of the writing, Matthew writes as a teacher. Mark as a preacher. Luke as a historian. And John as a theologian. And then lastly, the audience that they had in mind. Matthew wrote unto the Jews, Mark unto the Romans, Luke unto the Greeks, and John unto the Christians. Your main place of action concerning these Gospels, here's the map. Um, Matthew, 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see a lot of action in Capernaum, in Galilee, and in John in Jerusalem. Show that map, honey. You see that little bitty blue dot toward the top? That's the Galilean area. And then about midway down is Jerusalem. Okay? So that's where we see a lot of these pagan texts. All right. Are we good? All right. Let's go to verse 1, and let's see what the Lord has to say for us or to us tonight. Now, chapter 1 deals with a time period of about four to seven days. So when you read chapter 1, you're looking at about four to seven days. Okay? Four to seven days. In verses 1 and 2, we see that Jesus is portrayed as the eternal word. Now, let's read this. Now, listen. Very important wording in here, okay? In the beginning was the word. Capital word. It's the word. The word for word is logos, and it means spoken word. In the beginning was the spoken word of God. And the word, the spoken word, was with God. And the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. Okay? Now, the Greek New Testament says it this way. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and God was the word. So he's telling us that Jesus was the walking word. And that he was with God in the very beginning. Do you see some Genesis in here? Genesis 1 little bit of wording right there. But listen to this. This is what was going on. A person's word, now catch this, a person's word or words reveal their heart and mind. If you say something to somebody, Natalie, you're revealing your heart or your mind or both. Okay? Reveal someone's heart and mind. So Jesus, Jesus is God's word revealing his heart and mind to us. Because Jesus was the Word. Okay? He was the Word. According to Hebrews 1, He is the last Word to mankind because He was the climax of revelation. So when we read about Jesus and we listen to what He said and we read the stories and we read the parables and, and we, we see how He taught His disciples and all of these things, we can know that this is God's expression out of His mind and the expression out of his heart. Wow. Jesus was the walking word. Now, two little bitty words that you would probably overlook. I got them underlined in the back. Listen to this. Go back now and just read your shoulder button, okay? Go back to there. Not your shoulder button. Okay. Here we get it pointed. In the beginning, there we go, was the word. And the word was with God. This word was, when you see the word was, it conveys no idea of origin for God or for Jesus, just continuous existence. So my point is, guys, John, as I said in the very beginning, he's showing the deity of Jesus and the eternalness of Jesus. There was no beginning or end for Jesus. He just always has been. Now, we've been able to swallow that when it comes to God. Oh, God's always existed. He's always been here. There's no origin to God. He just always has been. But according to John, so has Jesus. He's always been. He's always been. Amen? It's not like his life just started one day. He is God, and he was with God. He's always been. Now, he came into reality form for us, when he came in the form of man and he died on a cross. We can kind of 
look up with it right there. But you got to see that Jesus has always been. God has always been. And the Holy Spirit has always been. Okay? So John's trying to really express that, that eternalness of Jesus. And then he says, Jesus. Go back to 31. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. You see that little word with, it means, and it will show position. This thing goes so much deeper when you look at it in the original language. And this word with is put with a person. It becomes much more intense. It becomes much more intimate. It's no longer a position. It's no longer just proximity. I'm with Rachel. It's much deeper and it's much more intimate. So we see that Jesus was with God intimately. He was with God in companionship. And it literally means he was face to face with God. So he was with God. Not just beside God. Not just in the proximity of God. But he was face to face with God. He was in companionship. He had companionship with God. There was intimacy between them. They exchanged thoughts and feelings and they communicated. He was with them. So the Son of God had fellowship with God way back when, way in eternity past, and they had been fellowshipping all along. Let me take it one more step. Because I think that this is just so strong. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. This proves that Jesus was present at creation. Verse 4, the in Him was light. Zoe, Z-O-E. And it means the God kind of light. Okay? So in Jesus, guys, we, we uh, experience not only physical light, but spiritual light. And it talks about eternal light, but not just eternal life out there. You can have eternal life right now and the benefits of eternal life right now and that type of relationship right now. It's not just duration. It's just not one day in the sweet by and by. It is now. You can experience that quality of life right now. Because he says that in him was light. Or in him was life. And the life was the light of men. You can experience that life right now. But a lot of times we hear people teach, oh, listen, we just got to make it. My gosh, just hang on. I just hope we make it till tomorrow. That's not what God intended. He said in him was life. In him was Zoe. In him was physical life, spiritual life, the promise of an eternal life, but the benefits can be accepted, received, and experienced right now, right here. It's not just duration. It's just not lasting in eternity. It's experiencing his kind of life right now. That's what John's talking about. Verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let's camp out here for a minute. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, this is our writer, John, and he's writing. Now, let me say this, because I'm going to get back to this. 
John was the one Jesus entrusted his mother to at the cross. That was that John. Don't you know that probably played into the story? She probably told him about it, about the Lord Jesus, because he took care of her. Little side note there. And so we see in verse 5 that John has come into this revelation that this light shines in darkness. What is darkness? It's everything that is opposite of God. Think about that. Darkness is everything that's opposite of God. It's not just sin. At least that's a big part of it. You know what I'm saying. So this light shines. Watch this. Very important. The light shines in darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 5 is a tremendously important verse. Notice, Veronica, you might appreciate this. Notice that the tense changes. In verse 1 through 4, it's, he was this. He was this. He was with God. He was. Okay? And all of a sudden, he was with God. Were made. Was made. All of a sudden, the tense changes. It goes to present tense. He says, and now, right now, this light keeps on shining. It's a now, now. And so, guys, this is something that we get to experience today. Thank God it didn't say that the light was shining. It says the light shines today. And it keeps on shining. So Jesus is for today, right? Redemption is for today. Now, look at the word comprehend. See the word comprehend? This word comprehend, some of your verses may say, and understandeth not, could not comprehend, could not overcome. You know, today people still don't understand Jesus. Darkness tries to overtake him, and he keeps on shining in darkness. Darkness will never overtake him. That's why the gospel message has lasted as long as it has. That's why false religions fall left and right. There's no foundation. There's no stability. There's no light that still shines. Okay? It says that the, the Bible says that the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness didn't understand it. The dark darkness could not grasp it. And the darkness could not overtake it. That's why the gospel lasts today. And it'll always last. It'll never be able to quench out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never will it be able to quench out be, or be quenched out because of John 5. Because of the word God. You see that? It's powerful. It makes the gospel that we believe in powerful. And it also means that darkness, get this because this will apply to your life. It means that darkness, darkness, because he shines in and through you, that darkness cannot govern you. cannot rule you. Now you can let it. You can let it. I can let it. All God's children can let it. But it's not supposed to because it's powerful enough. It's vast enough that it forever shines. And so it's, it, it, is, it is unable to govern us. You've got to be honest. Alright. So verses 1 through 5 are probably the most important. 
you will see in 6 through 8, we won't take time to read it, that John the Baptist is introduced here. Mark in your, in your P52 book or in the margin of your Bible somewhere, Luke 1.8. Luke 1.8, read that later. You will see that John the Baptist, uh, Luke 1.8, he says, So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. That's talking about John the Baptist. the day of his manifestation? Do you think maybe he was going through process to be ready to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ? Because do you know that after that verse right there, you hear nothing of John the Baptist for 30 years? 30 years! And I could show you multiple examples of the servants of God going through a process before they ministered. Preach. Okay? So, praise God, John the Baptist supports what we're doing. Process. Okay? And so we see him introduced. Let's move on very quickly. He did not ever want the uh, the attention put to himself. You'll see throughout here, you know, John will say, I'm not the light. I'm coming to testify of the light. He'll say that. John would say, I'm not the light. I don't even, don't look at me. I'm coming to testify of the light. Now look at verse 10. Talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. The world did not know him. Verse 11. Jesus came into his own, and his own received him not. Those two verses right there are very important because that opened the gateway, guys, for you and I. Because the nation of Israel rejected Christ, it was opened up to all of them. Thank you, Lord. That's exactly right. Okay? Because it says that he came into his own, and his own received him not. Now, watch this. When it says that he came into his own, his own what? It literally means his own things. When Jesus came into his own world, his own world, my goodness, the whole place was here because of him. It said that nothing was made that wasn't made through him. So when it says that he came into his own, he came into his own things. Well, what things? His own world, his own creation, his own throne, his own nation, his own people group. Those were his things. And it says that he came into those things. And it says that his own received him not. Very important word, received. Paralambano. Now let me show you this. Now we're talking about the nation of Israel. The people received him not. What does it mean? What do you mean they didn't receive him? Lambano can mean to take or to receive. See the uh, suffix there? Lambano, that's just a suffix, isn't it? Uh, Veronica, the latter part is the suffix. So lambano means to take or to receive. But you couple it with that prefix para. Remember the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. Remember we talked about that. Para meaning so close. Para meaning intimate. Para meaning right here the Holy Ghost is to us. He's the paraclete. 
the one that comes alongside and accompanies. So when this is so powerful, when it says that his own received him not, this is what Israel did not do. They did not paralambano him. Well, what does that mean? That means that they did not take him by the hand and draw Jesus unto themselves and walk closely with him and have companionship with him and be intimate with him. They received him not. They received him not. And the sound of Paralambino bringing him, he just wanted them to say, hey, I take your hand, Jesus, and I will draw you to myself, and you will stand right beside me, and I'll stand right beside you, and we will have companionship. Yes, Lord Jesus, I'll receive you. And guys, we're guilty a little bit right here sometimes today because we have cheapened salvation and grace is sloppy. And we just want to give Jesus a high five. Yeah, thanks for saving me. He says, paralambano me. Timothy, give me your hand. He says, here, Timothy. He says, take me. Not only because I'm going to show you what the other receive means in just a minute. Jesus was saying, Israel, take me. Take me by the hand and para, come here, paralambano me. Pull me close like I am with the Holy Ghost. And let's have communion and relationship. Do you see that? This is paralambano. Praise God. But it says Israel didn't do that. Look at verse 11. He came unto his own, his own what? His own all the way down to his own people group, and they received him not. The Greek is, his own people didn't take him by the hand and come alongside of him as a companion and a friend. And then it says in verse 12, but as many as received him, different word, it's just lambano. It almost sounds like he is just saying, listen, just take me. Just receive me. Can't get anybody to paralambano. Let's just lambano. Can you just take me? I may be way off, but it kind of sounds like he's saying, man, really, you know. But then, but he goes on to say, this is that part of the word, lambano, as many as received him. Watch this. To them gave he power. This is the memory verse to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Power here, guys, is not the word dunamos, which means this kind of power. It is the word eustasia, and that means the authority and the right to become the sons of God. Listen, we are not pitiful, squirmy, wormy old sinners. He said, if you will just take me, if you'll just receive me, I'll give you the right, the authority, the rule to become my son. And don't let the enemy tell you that you are any different than that right there. That's the water line. Amen? Right there's the water line. Now, it does include power, but it is the word eustachia right there. It is the permission, the right, the rule to become the sons of God to those that believe on his name. 
there's talk of you being taken. There's talk. Talking about John the Baptist. There's a lot about John the Baptist in the prior Gospels. You can read that. Let's hop up to verse 9 and just kind of read through to where we are. That was the true light which did lighten him that was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world made him known. He was made through him and the world didn't know him. That is gnosko. The word know is gnosko and it means to know by experience. They didn't experience him. So they didn't know him. Gnosko. Okay? Alright? Seeing to his own, own receiving not. When he has received him, he said, the right of power to become the children of God, those that believe in his name. Verse 14, for the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled. Gosh, y'all, tabernacled among them. He became flesh and he just set up residency right there among them. Lived among them, breathed among them, hung up the curtains moved in. He tabernacled right there. Dwelt right there means to tabernacle. He tabernacled with them. And we beheld the glory, His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, simply put, we reflected the glory of Him. John bore witness of Him. He says in verse 16, in His fullness, we have, I think this is my Bible Seventeen. That ought to be a little familiar to you. The law, there's the law. Remember we dealt with that. It was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Thank God. Yes. Amen. Now very quickly, let's wrap it up. And I'm just going to give you an overview and we're done. In verse 19 through 28, we won't read it. John the Baptist is challenged. Challenged. This group comes, we see it in 19, uh, the Jews sent priests and Levites, that was the religious crowd, to come to Jerusalem to find out what John was all about. He says in verse 20, I'm not the Messiah. They said, well, who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Who are you? I'm none of these. He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make the desolate way of the Lord. Now, he was prophesying to the book of Isaiah, which we read. Pharisee, it says, now those who then were of the Pharisees. Guys, there were two things preached back then, and we know what it is about. Pharisees and Sadducees. They were always eating at and biting at and chomping at each other. But they united when it came time to kill Jesus. They couldn't stand each other. The Sadducees, they one would have the money. They were political. They did not believe in a resurrection. They did not believe that God needed to be in every day of your life. They did not believe in an afterlife. They did not believe in a spirit world. The Pharisees believed all those things. The Pharisees, they would keep the law and some. The Sadducees were straight to the law. And they battled until it came time to kill Jesus because they said he's going to get more attention and more power than all of us, so we'll do it my way. But you need to know, you need to read up on Sadducees and Pharisees if you're interested because that's the, that's the group we're dealing with here. Okay, 25 through 30, I need to tell you what this is so that you will know. And they asked him, why are you baptized if you're not the Christ, Elijah or the prophet? 
And John Hester didn't say, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you. In other words, Jesus had already been on the scene before then. They were clueless. Who uh, knew who, you do not know. It is he who's coming after me, is preferred before me. That means he ranks higher than me, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to loose. These things were done at Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Next day, John told me, he's coming. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Because he was preaching, I said, you may be thinking to yourself, how in the world can he be pouring all of this John, John's baptism? Because Jesus had not died on the cross. He's not talking about a converted person's water baptism. Because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. Okay? Because when we do baptism over here, these are brand new believers. And Jesus has already died on the cross and raised from the dead. Amen? So when we experience water baptism over here, that's the baptism of a new believer. That is the correct order. The person is saved, then they're baptized, then they're saved. So what is John doing here, Duncan Pete? What's he doing? All this is, guys, was an introductory or a preparatory baptism. These people were saying, we know the Messiah's coming. We're going to repent and prepare for him. And when he comes, we'll receive him. He's coming, according to John. He is on the scene. And we want to get lined up and ready to receive him. Go over to Acts 19 real fast. Let me show you this so you can connect the dots. Y'all got to move this because it is taking my imagination real good. Move it later, but I'm going to show you. preparatory baptism. They were preparing. Right, this is Acts 19. This is a long time after the Holy Spirit had even come. Paul finds this group and he says to them, verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we thought as much as we wanted by the Holy Spirit. This was 20 years later. And he's, this is 20 years after Pentecost. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. There it is. Is that good? They're just baptizing people preparatory baptism. They got a long way to go. I mean, Jesus already died on the cross, went to heaven, the whole thing. And the Holy Ghost has already come, and they're still in John's baptism. They're pitiful. Verse 4, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him who would come after him. Now, here's the problem. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They got baptized. That easy as mud right there. That's, that's easy, isn't it? Okay, go back to John 1 real quick. Just wanted to clarify that because some may read that and go, what is John doing? What baptism? Do you see about the baptism of John there in 25 through 32? And then last, the last whole section of the, of the chapter here deals with, about 35 through 51, deals with Jesus beginning to call his team. Very self-explanatory, not necessarily contained, but you can read it and know what's going on. But Paul tells the church in Corinth, he told them, I did not know him, John the Baptist said, I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending 
Lembra disso? Então o que aconteceu? Ele venceu e agora a Bíblia diz. Let's get on it. God told John the Baptist he said, "The one that you see that second in tomb and leaning on him, this is who he baptizes with. This is who was sent to him." So God, in verse 29, we see Jesus being see these gentlemen responding uh, at least Andrew based on what John said the rest of them you will see them responding because others evangelized this right here it is a uh, an example for us people will come to the lord based on what we say John running around saying he's coming he's coming he's coming and Andrew says i believe that and he hooks up two of the disciples hooked up and then it says that these other guys just see it throughout genesis is going on yeah uh verse 41 we have found the messiah you see it's based on what they're saying their testimony the chain of evangelism and it just spreads throughout and they're grabbing folks one way after another now nathanael was a little bit different He was under a tree. Somebody help me find that verse. But Nathanael was sitting where Jesus says it. Oh, verse 48. Saw you under a fig tree. Before Philip even called you, I saw you under a fig tree. Many commentators believe that Nathanael was in a pastoral camp and Jesus knew it. He knew that Nathanael's heart was already turned toward him. Is this. 
Jesus is now the link between heaven and earth. He says, I'm here. I'm here in flesh. I am God's last word to mankind. I am revelation, and I've come, and I'm tabernacling with you. I'm housing myself with you. And no longer will you have to rely on the prophets of the Old Testament to tell you what God is saying. I'm God's word in the flesh standing here right now. And I am now heaven's link, God's link between heaven and earth. He said, you will see me with a heavenly presence on you at all times. Oh, my word. God is so good. So good. I mean, even from the little word of this, all the way to the word paralambano, to the very end we see heaven in glory ascending and descending on him. And he said, I am here among you, tabernacling with you. Paralambano means. Out of P52 came our Bible School Caneo Ministry Training Center, where we build and train disciples who are confident and well-equipped to be effective world changers. Our Caneo students are heavily involved in the North Order Revival, where God is meeting people in the baptism waters. You can find more information and resources at caneomtc.com, cfchurch.tv, or you can download the P52 devotional at kingdomready.tv. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, and we'll see you next time.